Unashamed, the recovery podcast. Hey, recovery fam. Welcome to another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Drew. I'm Drew. I'm your host, Josh. That's Drew. Josh is confused. Let's just meet today's guest. Hey, recovery fam. Our guest today is Haley from Columbus, Mississippi, just down the road from here in Meridian. Uh, And we're excited to have her join us to be sharing her story. Uh, Haley, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself to the the listeners, kind of tell them a little bit about yourself before we get into your story today. Okay, my name is Haley Pridmore. Um, I'm 38. I'm from Columbus, Mississippi. Um, I have three girls, um, all five years apart, um, two of which live with me. One lives with her dad um, due to my addiction. I work for community counseling. I have my bachelor's in family studies. Awesome. And I actually am the lead peer support. I work out of Columbus, Mississippi and West Point, Mississippi, and I use what I've been through in my addiction to give back to the community. Um, I work with kids who are birthed to 21 years old, and I use my story to help give light to not only the kids, but the parents as well. That's amazing. Just to give them hope that there is um, help, and not just in addiction, but mental health and everything else. That's amazing. That's a big thing that's not really talked about. You know, as much as, uh, you know, mental health sometimes can go, uh, in an unrecognized, so Absolutely. to speak. So that's a big thing. Yep. So before we get into your story, Haley, what is your addiction? What did you struggle with? For me, I struggled with porn and sex addiction. Drew, his was a number of things. Drew, can you even keep count of all your stuff? Um, one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we all were struggling with different stuff. What, what was your struggle, Haley? Well, let's see, it started off at 12 years old with cigarettes and then moved to alcohol and then moved to marijuana and then moved to um, ecstasy, then moved to um, cocaine, then moved to crack, then moved to um, methamphetamines. And when it went to methamphetamines, that's where the rock bottom came. It's, it's always amazing of all these stories that we sit down and listen to, it's always this visible progression. Well, yeah, it starts here, and then it went to this, and then it went to this, and then it went to this. And so it's always this progression. It never just stays in one form. And so I, I think that's always interesting. We've been able just to see so many stories like that. Where it takes that little bit of effect and then becomes a big snowball effect after that. Yeah. So it's just, you can watch it. And you know, they, what they say is uh, addiction is progressive either way it goes. Absolutely. Even if you stop for a little bit, and you come back to it, you don't actually start all the way over. You start where you stop that, and then it just progresses. That's why, you know, there's such a high number of people who end up overdosing uh, due to the fact that they get to a point, they decide to quit, and they try to go back, they relapse, and it's 10 times worse than where it started from. So I imagine that even mentally, there's a snowball effect on how much they want to use because they're trying to get that effect back. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Go back to that dragon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Haley. As we start moving into your story, your testimony, it's kind of like a, a novel and all great stories 
and great books, they have a beginning. What does the beginning of Haley's book look like? What is chapter one for you? Well, mine really started um, when I was 12. Um, my dad passed away. And, you know, that really took a turn in my life. You know, I had never witnessed death before. Um, I really wasn't prepared for it. I knew that he was real sick. Um, but I, at 12, I had never witnessed anyone dying. I wasn't mentally and physically prepared for it. So when it happened, it kind of took me as a shock. Um, I became mad at all my family members. I became mad at God. Um, I rebelled in the streets, but I excelled at school. Um, and that sounds a ton. I'm dying to interrupt. That sounds a ton like my story. Yes, I mean, did, just, I mean, did you listen to my story? Is that, not, is that what that is? No, did not at all. She, she took notes. She took notes. Had to take notes. Did not at all. But that, I mean, it, it was crazy because that's how I fooled my mom. You know, right. like my my report cards was A's, A's, A's. You know, and, and my grandma was like. Haley's doing so well. Haley's doing so well. You know, but that was that was my mask. Yeah, you could put your focus in on schoolwork. Absolutely. And that kind of gave you the, um, the, uh, the, the, let's say, the hide-and-go-seek type of deal. So you could actually hide within that work. But, you know, all the same, you're wearing the mask, living the double life, too. You know, so I think that's so many people's story in addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, and it's tragic because sometimes people never get to take the mask off. Mm -hmm. You know. But. And I got comfortable with that mask right. for a long time, you know, but um, my mom, she worked, she went to school to do hair, she, you know, had a lot going on, right. you know, so, and I was an only child, you know, so of course, with my dad gone and my mom working a lot, I really had a silver spoon, you know, and I was enabled a lot. And I use that to my advantage. Right. And that, um, it really sucked at sometimes, but at in some points I enjoyed it. You know, yeah. um, looking back on it, you know, I kind of wish it wasn't that way, but it made me who I am today. Yeah. And I remember I got away with it for so long. And, you know, as the grades progressed, you know, it got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And um, I'll never forget one year, I was just, they can't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> I am invisible. I can be whatever I want, you know. And um, so I skipped school one day and got away with it. Oh Lord! Skipped school the second day, got, got away Lord. with it. So I was like, my friends were like, let's do it again. And I was like, okay, we done got away with it two days in a row. <laughs> and um, I mean, I rode the bus to school, got went in the school, and walked right out the back. And um, y'all, that Thursday, that school called my mama. It was like, um, Miss, I don't know, Miss Dunham or Miss Bridmore, I don't even remember if she, if she was married at the time. Your daughter is not in school. She was like, yes, she is. She has done caught the bus. And she goes, well, she hasn't been here the last three days. And she goes, I know exactly where she is. Oh, Lord. And y'all, she drove up there to where I was at. And I remember my friend said, Haley, your mom is here. No, she's not. <laughs> and I went and hid, and y'all, my mama, like, pulled her car up to the back and, like, hopped on her trunk and dove in the um, the window and came in the house and got me out. And the whole way to juvenile detention center, she was just popping me. Just popping me. You're not going to do this anymore. And, like, she took me in, and 
that was the start of my mask starting to fall. You yeah. know, I couldn't get away with it. And they didn't take me. They were like, you can't walk her in. And I was like, take me in. <laughs> Put me back there. So if your mom was anything like mine, mine was a belt-wielding warrior. Like, yes. Literally, I think she laughed a couple times. Like, <laughs> what are those war cries? Yeah. Yeah. Mine yeah. was a sprint, but yes. I was like, please take me in. Do not put me back in the car with her. And they're like, you're going. I remember there was one time I called it. Yeah, my mom was, she had caught me uh, smoking cigarettes. And so she was about to give me this, this terrible whooping. I said, you hit me with that building called in Child Protective Services. And so I told her that. She said, if you can reach that phone, you go right ahead, mister. I was like, <laughs> You ever seen the movie Pootie Tang? <laughs> Every time. So. I'll give you something to call them about. Oh, Here yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, for days. I think our show has went to an all-time low. We have now referenced Pootie Tang. And <laughs> understand what could be. That'd be my fault. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. So, so, so you're begging juvenile to to take you in to to keep you from your mom. So, so did you actually stay at juvenile or did you go back home? No, I had to go back home. You know, um, but she did call, um, and they came and got me. And I remember going in there. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. Like um, I finally heard that the cells clinking behind me and. The girl was in there, I remember one girl had a hickey on her face, and one girl was talking about stealing my food, and I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> yeah, and I called my mom, I was like, mom, please come get me, I promise I'm not going to do this somewhere. And she said she opened the Bible, you know, and she just started reading, and it was talking about forgiveness. So she did come and get me. And I stopped hanging around those people. She was like, you know, you're not going to hang out with them. We're going to do things a little different. And things got a little better. Um, and then got back into a different crowd. You know, if you don't change your circle, you can find the same different type of people. So I did. Got back in trouble again. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Absolutely. So um, I did leave. Um, I, I left and I went up north. Um, that's what I was telling you about, and I went to live with my aunt in Kentucky. And I went, finished school there. Again, you can change geographical regions, but you can find the same type of people. That's the thinking that has to change. Absolutely, yeah. and my thinking never changed. You know, it was somebody, it might have been at several recovery, I was talking to a guy, I was telling him, if you don't change the people you're around, like you are the average of the five people you hang around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if those five people are in suburb COVID, hey, you're the average of those five people. Absolutely. Yeah, if those five people are over at the show bar yeah. five nights a week, you're the average of that. What you are the average of the five people you hang around the most. And I mean, and that's the truth. I mean, your circle of influence is just that. It's a circle of that's influence. Right. When Amy gave that, you know, when she did her talk. That was, um, it was so informative, but that was one of the points she hit on, you know, you're only as intelligible or, you know, um, ge generic or original as those five people. It's just, you know, it was just one of those things that really, really stuck. I'm yeah. sorry, I had to give her a, yeah, her a knock on Yeah, on that one, because, you know, she did kind of um, knock some rust loose there, because you, you hear that often, uh, that you are the company you keep. 
You know what I mean? But it, people don't really put that into a retrospect or a really yeah. thought, a good thought process. Not so, at all. yeah, you are the company you end up keeping. Most so. definitely. So, you're in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Your circle of influence hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So, I would imagine you're still doing the same stuff in Kentucky that you were doing in Columbus, Mississippi. Absolutely. But this time, I'm with my aunt, who again, look at Haley. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, she's doing so well, you know, and once again, I, I could start back at, I'm doing my grades, I'm doing the mask back on, the mask is back on, I'm doing so well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this, Aunt Janet, I love you, <laughs> you know, and, you know, she never had kids, you know, uh, so, yeah, so, and my dad that passed away was her brother, you know, so I played that as much as I could, you know, and was it wrong? Absolutely, you know, and t today we have an amazing relationship, and we did back then, but I, I used it to my advantage, yeah. to the extreme, and, you know, I caused a lot of conflict between her and her, you know, her husband and her marriage, and at, at that time I never saw it, but today I see it, you know, but... And um, even if you probably saw it back then, you you know, if you're in the middle of it, you really don't care. I didn't care. So, I mean, that, that, that's that kind of dark side of mm -hmm. addiction that we really don't talk about is you just don't care. As long as you're getting what you're getting, Absolutely. you don't care. Absolutely. And that's our best choice is always in addiction. It's always manipulation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's just something over time, you know, I've come to realize. And you can even see like people who have an early addiction that won't realize they're in addiction. The choices that they're making are so, and I hate to say self-centered, but that's exactly what it oh, is. Yeah. And so it becomes manipulative to mm -hmm. what they need or what they want. You know, they know how to play it just how they need yep, to absolutely. in order to, to uh, circumvent everything around them. So and to me, it really didn't feel like an addiction because it was just smoking weed and just drinking. Right. You know, because when you say just smoking weed and just drinking, but that is an addiction. Yeah. You know, but back then I was like, well, I hadn't switched over to the cocaine and the ecstasy and the pills and the meth. Well, people think the heart of the drug is that that makes what makes it an addiction. Right. You know, sometimes Josh's you know scenario, there's no drugs involved at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. You know, yeah. so here I am, just doing what normal kids do, looking at a Playboy, or got a, my friend's stolen porno VHS that he got off his dad. That's what boys do. Is you're made to think, hey. I'm just, there, I mean, there's no, you don't right. see that being, so yeah. Exactly. Most definitely. And so, so where, where does that progress to from there? You're, you're doing the weed and you're, you're drinking a little bit. There's got to be a progression. So, um, I came home one night, well, I was out and my aunt told me, she was like, okay, Haley, me and John are tired of it. If you do not come home by X amount of time, I think it was like 11 o'clock, we're going to change the locks and you're not going to come in. And I was like, I call BS. <laughs> Y'all aren't going to do that to me. I'm going to push the tester button. Oh, let me do that. Let's say it was 11 o'clock. Right. And I drove up at like 11.20. And I put my key in the door and it did not work. <laughs> I am not kidding you. And I'm like, I was knocking. 
And I could see her at the top of the stairs. And I'm like, knocking. And she's like, I told you. I told you. And I'm like, let me in. She did not let me in. And so that was like. Kudos to her. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I went and got an apartment. And that's where it started. That's where the cocaine came in. That's where, you know, the ecstasy started. That's where it all began. Um, I got into a real bad cocaine addiction. I did graduate high school. I went into, like I said, excelled in school. I went to my first year of college. I got my associates in business management. Finished those, you know, but high burn, right. you know. Um, but it just... It wasn't what I needed to do. You know, it wasn't, I was never happy. You know, I'd, I'd fall asleep thinking about where my drugs were coming the next day. And I'd spend my days just high. And through that cocaine addiction, um, it was really, it was hard. You know, I, I, was, I was never satisfied. So were you doing the cocaine with the ecstasy? Was it at the same time or have we yet to get to the ecstasy? I was doing anything. If I could get my hands on it, I was doing it. Like I was telling him, the only thing I didn't do was heroin. People used to ask me my, my drug of choice, you know, whenever I first started this whole recovery, uh, my journey. And I would be like, any? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> Who has I'll try it. One specific? Then yeah. You mean you were just stuck on one? I, any? <laughs> like, I could, see, I could see God's fingerprints all over me. Yeah. Like, through it all, because... The uppers and downers I did all throughout the nights. I don't, I, I do not understand how I'm still here today. You know, he's got a purpose for me. But I remember coming home one night, um, I was with my um, first child's dad, and I told him, I was like, I don't want to do the cocaine no more. You know, let's, let's be done. And I came home, and I went to a, um, a, a restaurant with my mom and dad, and there was this bar, another bar. CJ's Pizza or something like that. And there was a band playing, and I wanted to go see the band. And I went to the band with this friend from church, this old um, friend from church. And I drank a beer with him, and then he asked what kind of shot I wanted, and I was like, Goldschlager. And so that was the drink I used to drink at the time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's old school. So, young. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I took the shot and the next thing I remember was waking up to an alarm clock going off the next morning. And I was like, where am I at? Like, I didn't know where I was at. And so I went back home and I went to the hospital the next day and I'd been administered the daybreak drug. Um, and so a couple of weeks go by and I found out I was pregnant. And... That really hit me hard because that's not how I wanted to have a pregnancy. So I did a lot of soul searching on it and I wound up having an abortion. And when I say that healed my soul, um, like it changed me. When I say became a dark yeah. person because I could not live with who I was. And I was tired of being myself. I went back to who, to Mike, um, who my dad is. We fought constantly. Um, I didn't want to live anymore. Um, we wound up breaking up for a little bit. Um, I went and did my own thing. So we went our separate ways. And then we wound up getting back together um, about a couple of years later. And we wound up getting pregnant with Maya. Um, 
and everything was fine for a little while. We, uh, we didn't have a place to call our own. We lived at this one place, there was a drive-by shooting. He, he never stopped doing the drugs, and obviously I did because I was pregnant. Um, and it was, it sucked to watch him come in, you know, drunk or yeah. rolling, and you know, I'd be like, can you not stop? Like, just for nine months. Like, you stop on, you know, and I, I want to be where you are, but I can't. And I'm like, I got this baby growing inside me. <laughs> and uh, it really sucks watching him. And like, the drive-by shooting happened, so he moved me into a motel. That was great, watching a baby grow inside of you while you're in a motel. Yeah, I can imagine. So I was like, okay, yeah, I was like, so I felt a kick for the first time inside of the motel where the, um, uh, what is this called, air conditioner, I had to visualize it, <laughs> air conditioner frozen up, I was, I, was I was like, the air conditioner was frozen up, so I took my socks off and like had to put it on the unit so it would quit freezing up, and I called my mom, I was like, mama, this is not what I want. Like, can I please come home? Right. She was like, absolutely. So I lined up a job and I came home and I've been home ever since. Um, got a job. He went, Mike came up coming, coming down and uh, she was born. Y'all, she was 10 and a half pounds. Ooh, ooh, Lord. Yes. 32 <laughs> hours of labor. Oh. Yes. So not, not C-section? So, oh, yes. So, oh. An emergency C-section okay. after 32 hours. Ooh. And So that's why you had the warrior tattoo. Yes. <laughs> well, the warrior tattoos come after. Yeah, the warrior tattoos yeah, after that. I tell you, the warriors after everything I've been through. No doubt. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, they held her up, and I went, mm -mm, that's not my baby. <laughs> She was so big. Right. So, and she did not look like a newborn. Ten pounds. Ten and a half. Ten. Well, she, she, she ready to play college football. I'm like, telling she, you. She came out walking, didn't she? I was like, <laughs> she is huge. I was like, thank you for my C-section. I mean, know, did she slap the doctor back? I'm telling you, right? But, you know, that, that's, where it, that's where it really, really took place. Right. That's where it went full force from there. Um, because of the C-section, they gave me these two little bottles, pain pills. One for the C-section and one for, you know, um, postpartum. Mm -hmm. And my name was on that bottle. So I want to stop for just a second right there because when we did Shauna's episode, Shauna was your typical soccer mom driving off. Uh, Land Rover, and hers started from a wreck. Yep. And she got, hers was prescriptions. That was what she dealt with. And when hers went on for a while and wound up getting the DA called her and she was forging prescriptions. Yep. It's like eight years, wasn't it? Uh, I can't even remember now. But I did some research when we were doing her episode and I came across that 80% of Opiate addictions start from a pres uh, legit prescription. Yep. Eighty percent of opiate addictions. So it's not an uncommon thing. More people than you realize are battling a opiate addiction because 
Hey, name's on the bottle. Absolutely. And the body becomes so dependent Absolutely. on that, that numbing feeling. Mm -hmm. And then if you're dealing with some emotional stuff on top of that, oh, Absolutely. that, that knocks both of them out. So for, yeah, for, so. so for people to sit there and say, I'll never be in addiction, it's more common for you yep. than you think. Because like with Sean, hers was a car wreck. Mm -hmm. Yours was a childbirth. Yeah. Very easily. Anybody can get sucked into this world. Absolutely. This isn't what the stigma makes it out to be. This this affects anybody, any race, any age, any social class, any salary, any job. Yes. I mean, it affects us all. And they don't even have to know they're in an addiction. All they have to do is go fill that prescription and not even understand it. And then they go back the next month and say, yeah, that felt great. Can I get another refill? Oh, I'm still hurting a yeah, little absolutely. bit. Just, just a touch. If you go back and get that yeah. refill and you take that whole bottle, boom, you're in the next week and you don't even realize well, it. And that's, that's the, the thing that you know ended up getting so many of my friends was the fact that they would manipulate themselves in their way of thinking because they would say, oh man, it's just, I got this little pain in my knee, you know, uh, I had this wiping or I had this and I had that. And so this will numb me for a little while, you know, those, just those little things you tell yourself, those little bitty lies you tell yourself, is when you sh should really wake up and see, hey, well, I'm, if I'm becoming so dependent on this to quit the pain, you know, then it's just becoming an addiction. But, you know, we never ask ourselves that question in the middle of it, you know, it's only when it goes too far, Absolutely. you know, so. Absolutely. And so, I hate that it happens like that. Go ahead. Yeah. Nah, we interrupted. <laughs> I just I wanted to take that one because it was a good point about hey, I don't know. It's just I always try to make that point when I can. So anyway, back to your part where you've got these two bottles, mm -hmm. postpartum for C-section. Yep. So um, I got these two bottles, taking them. Um, I go back home with her, and Mike winds up leaving. Five months. No, he stayed, yeah, he stayed for about five, six months after she was born. And um, she was very colic. I'm talking about. If he was not holding her, <laughs> she was crying. She cried from the moment she woke up to the moment she went back to sleep. And, you know, I went right back to work. Um, I didn't have, um, what's it called? Maternity leave. Yeah. Um, so I went right back to work, shuffling my feet at work, you know, because. I was ready to get back to work. I was ready to get right out of the crying, you know, I'm yeah. a new, new mom. <laughs> what is this crying? Like, <laughs> I can't go back to work. And, you know, he was like, I just can't deal with all this crying. It's hard, you yeah. know, when you're a new parent and a baby is crying 24 seven, like, and it, being a new parent, you don't soothe it. No, no it's at just all. like, you know what? Nope. And you're coming <laughs> out of all this, you know, addiction lifestyle where yeah. you're just, you're yourself and you're caught up in doing you and then you to have, feel things yes you have this little well, bitty body a well, baby your parent is hard on its own yeah because you don't know jack about anything right and you're kind of following like you don't know how to do this and then the baby kind of takes the next step and now you're once you finally get a hold of that it takes another step so you're playing catch up with that and then you're also coming out of addiction mm -hmm. and so you're trying to play catch up with Natural life as well. It's hard. Oh, it was hard. Yeah. It was yeah. hard. So I did. I went and got. Um, we were living with my mom for a while. Um, we went and got a place, um, a little trailer. And when he left, it was really hard. You know, not only was I thrown into the single mom now, 
you know, it's like, what do I do? You know, it's back on myself. Yeah. You know, and here I am stuck with a baby. You know, he's going to look me down. You know, so then I started going up to, you know, I, 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 I was going back to school because I wanted to go back and get either elementary education or I wanted to work with kids now. I didn't want to just sit at a desk and, you know, type papers. I wanted to work with kids. Now that I had a kid of my own, I wanted to work with kids. <laughs> Where did I come from? I don't know. But I did. And you know, now I'm glad because, you know, I've got something I can bounce back to. But I was going to school and I was working. And then, so I would tell my mom, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be a good mom. But on Friday nights, can I go to the club? Yeah, can I have my youth? <laughs> all my friends are going, right. and I'll be good. And then I'll still be at church on Sunday and raise a hallelujah. Yeah. And so, yeah, she was doing that. So, I'm Friday night, faithfully, every, every Friday night, be at the club. Yeah. Tore up from Florida, you know. And proud of it, no, but it, again, part of my story. Driving home one eye, you know, again, God's fingerprints. Yeah. All over it. I don't even know how half the time I come home to get the baby and she's like, just let the baby stay here. Y'all stay here. Oh, God, what's going on? And um, just ashamed, you know, be at the altar every Sunday. Like, Lord, I don't want this. Take it from me. You know, I'm here. But pick it right back up and walk out that door with it, you know. And right. just I would never leave it there. would never leave it there. And so um, that went on for a good long time. Um, and then I met, met another guy. It's always a guy. Always a guy. Um, for us, it's always a woman. <laughs> 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 but I did, and I met this guy, and I just, I thought he hung the moon. Um, but when I met him, um, I should have known. Um, I met him as one person with a certain name. Um, I'm just only named out of the whole podcast thing. Um, but I met him as one person. And one day I was doing laundry, and his driver's license came out. Okay, let him ride. Drop the hand, right? Right. So, driver's license came out, and I was like, who is this man? Is this his face? Right. The guy that I had been knowing, that was not the name he gave me. Wow. So I pick up the phone and call my little cop around. I'm like, um, can you tell me this name? Because um, this guy's been staying in my house, and I don't know this guy, and he's been around my kid. You know, and I told him when I met him, like, I don't want any, you know, that show. Yeah, my, my mom didn't know the show, and I felt really weird. But no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. Stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I told him, I was like, it's probably the generation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's an old show. Yeah, it is. But, but I mean, I watched it. I watched it. I did. I love it. I'll be like, no way. Anyway, so um, that's why I told him, I was like, look, I can't do no way. Yeah. You know, like, I am going through a custody battle with my daughter, and if you got anything hidden behind, let me know. Yeah. Oh, I'm straight, I'm straight, I'm straight. It's like, okay. I believe you. Now, okay, I'm a very vulnerable person. So I'm not going to. The new, the second Corinthians five seventeen. No, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta, yeah, yeah, I gotta walk now. <laughs> so, but uh, come to find out, he was a totally different person. Found out the truth, 
But of course, here I am right with you. Yes. So, because I told him, I was like, you gotta leave. But then uh, the next week, I found another pregnant. I was like, I So, pregnant by the imposter? Pregnant by the imposter. The imposter, we'll just keep calling that, we'll give him that name. Yeah. To make it easier? Yeah. yeah. The imposter. So, and you know, I was like, are you serious? Like, this game. He's like, Haley, I'll be so good to you. I'll be, you know, I'm so sorry, you know. And, so what was the reason for the deception with the name? Because he was like he was so he was so ashamed of who he really was, and like, why well, then? Like I would have. Oh, so it wasn't like he was trying. He was hiding a hold of the family. That's, so that was my yeah, mind. That's, that's why I gave right. the head. Drop. I was like, hold on a second. Yeah, that's why I was like, this man. But I mean, he did have a warrant in the state that he was from, but he couldn't be extradited. And I don't know if it was because he just didn't want me to know about his past. Yeah. But be real. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, well, I saw off on a lot. But huh, when I tell you the rest of the story, you're going to be like, well, now I don't know. Is it at all a lot? Oh, let me get my seat suited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I make him leave, and um, 
I'm going to graduate from my bachelor's, not a month later. And I invite him to come to my bachelor's um, graduation. And I look out there, and he's not there. So my mom and my, my, the rest of my family are all there. We go out to um, eat um, after my graduation. And I'm drinking a beer, and it's just, I'm just sad. You know, I'm like, just graduated, and you know, what a, the man I wanted to be there yeah. isn't there. You know, I really thought that, you know, after all the things we've been through, like he was going to be there, like this is my so, husband. Right. You know, we're supposed to be together and support each other. And this girl looked at me, and she was like, hey, you want to go get high? And again, I remember, I said, we, so I'm thinking, she's talking about there's something more. And that's all she Oh, man, we got problems, don't we? On oh, my fish? And he was like, yeah, you're going to jail. And I was like, 
And I asked the officer, I was like, what about my bitch? I was like, I just bought it. <laughs> my kids are going to be so sad. And he was like, we'll take care of your fish. I think he, I think he flushed them. Uh, really probably. Probably. I was arrested for a whole week. And uh, I, remember, I remember calling my ex and he was like, do I call your mom? You know, she's really calling me every day asking where you're at. And, you know, this time they wasn't posting stuff. And and I was like, no, no, I tell them where I'm at. Like, we're going to get through this. He's like, I'm going to tell them to pull, because I was telling them. I said, I don't know how that six got changed to a nine. I, the prescription fell, and I think somebody wrote it. And he said, we are going to pull that surveillance, because I believe you. And I was like, do not pull the surveillance. <laughs> and he goes, well, we, I believe you, and we are going to prove your innocence. I said, I, I cannot talk on this phone, but do not pull that surveillance. I'm telling you, don't pull it. Just trust me. So anyway, I finally broke down, and I was like, okay, I did it. Okay. Let's just get me out of here, and I will do what I need to do. And I was on pretrial division, division for diversion for that. I did a year for that. And, so is that like a drug court? It is, but it's only for a year, and they didn't monitor me. Like I tested once a month, right? So I knew how to get by. Oh lord! You know, and I played it for what it was. You know, I quit a week before. And then, you know, the other three weeks of play for fiddle. Right. And so then I went back out, you know, got back again. And so this time, um, I went really out there, really bad. I then wound up getting pregnant with my third child. And I was so selfish that I could not stop using while I was pregnant with her. Um, I found out I was pregnant by a home test. Um, went to the doctor once to find out she was a girl. Um, and I was so mad that she was a girl because I really wanted a boy. And I was like, you know what? I'm not coming back. Uh, I was so high that my next door neighbor that was getting high with me, we were going to have a water birth in the pool <laughs> that was filled with algae. The best ideas we came up with. Okay. I was like, you, you're a nurse, right? I was like, we could we could do this. We could like have a water birth, right? I could it be like, that hard? Could it be that hard? Like, we got a pool full of water. Not to mention, you know, the 10 pound baby that you, you know you had earlier. I'm telling you. She was like, yeah, we could do this. So I never went back. And like, it was horrible. Like every time I'd go through contractions, she'd come over there. One time she gave me this one pill. So you actually tried it? Yeah. 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 My blood pressure got real bad one day and she gave me the wrong pill. And I was asleep for like two days. She was, oh. like, she was like, Haley, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't uh, like I really I really suggest that we start going to the to the doctor. Wow. So I went back and he was like, yeah, you're a lot further than we thought. I think we need to come in for like in two weeks and do the C-section. And he was like, where have you been going? And I was like, don't worry, doc. I have been in California with a midwife. <laughs> I have been taking care of this whole time. And y'all, I will have to give you pictures to let you see. I'm this is one that I was, I was asleep. I was asleep. I was, I was asleep, Doc. <laughs> okay, so you have pictures of this time. Yeah. Wow. So 
we may have to get some, put the pictures up on the screen. Yes. There, there this. But I mean, no, it was, uh, you can handle that, right? What? <laughs> you said what? But it, it was some, again fingerprints, fingerprints, yeah. Job. Because I did go in and have a C-section yeah. with her, and no drugs in her system, not one. Man, that's amazing. And that they, is amazing. they tested her because I was gray. Um, like I didn't see anything over here gray, but I was gray. Wow. And um, they were like, surely. But they, yes. they tested her, nothing in her system. They let her go home with me. And um, when I say, y'all, we were so, he was so high at the doctor because my ex came to the hospital. And every time I'd wake up, he would leave. And I'd be like, where is he at now? And I remember um, I had a complication at the end because I kept having to get up and like walk around and take care of this, this little baby. And because he was nowhere to be found, right. and he was like, "You're having a complication." He wound up like, "Okay, she was born August 24th, and our anniversary was August 25th." So he was like, "I'm gonna go get you some roses." Mind you, I did not trust him further than I could see him. So I had him on Google location, and I was watching his entire road trip, riding by the dope man's house. Then he calls me and he is like, Haley, I just got pulled over and I'm going to jail and our car's getting impounded. There was weed in the car. Wow. And I was like, what do you want me to do? I just had a C-section yesterday. Add more stress to you. Add more stress to me. So I wound up calling someone to get our car out of impound and he wound up showing up. I don't know how he got out of jail, but he did. Um, when he got there, he took the recliner, the, you know those little gliders? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, he took that apart. You know, tweakers do the weirdest things. Take things apart. Yeah. And you know that little thing that carries the little IV drip things around? Yeah. Yeah, he took that apart too. Mama came in the hospital room. Okay, so he left me. They were discharging me. And he left me. He was like, I don't think you need to leave it. My ex. I don't think you need it. I don't think you're ready to leave yet. Who are you to tell me I need to leave the hospital? I took the entire house apart. Oh, that, yeah, you know, we haven't got anything. So, um, <laughs> wait a minute. Just hold on. So I'm like, I have to leave. They have discharged me. What are you talking about? Right. We only have yeah. one vehicle and you're not coming to get me? Like, I do not want to call my mom and tell her to come get me and this baby. Get up here to get me. He did not come up there to get me. Finally, at 10 o'clock at night, they call me. They come in the room and they say, Miss Pridmore, Miss whatever my name was. You, yeah, I was Miss Pridmore at the time. Miss Pridmore, it's time for you to leave. Like, you have to leave this hospital. So here I am walking to the, the walk of shame to call my mom's number. Mom, I need you to come get me. And she walks in there, and I'm like, I'm trying to just, just yeah. to hide the fact that the glider's taken apart, <laughs> and all this stuff is taken apart, and there's only one piece of the glider in the room. Oh, my. So I'm like trying to have everything packed up. And so like, is he like taking pieces out as he goes? Yes. Two. <laughs> so my mom looks over there, and she's like, where's the other piece of the glider? And I'm like, I don't know. Can we just leave? 
So we leave and we go to the house. I'm gonna take a time out and call your mom a freaking hero right now. Yeah. I swear, cause she has held her composure <laughs> a lot throughout the story. Yeah. So way to go, mom. Way to go, my mom is my hero. But the you know, the, the thing is, and this is something I've, I've mentioned to people, you know, that, um, you know, whenever I was doing my peer support and you know, counseling for drug and alcohol. Uh, the, the thing I would tell people is, the more you're in addiction, the more you're putting your family through it. Absolutely. I was like, just because they're not using with you, they're still living it out with you. You know, every single bit of it, because yeah. they care, they love you, they're going through it with you. So, you know, all this time you're like, oh, it's just me, you know, it's decisions I'm making, but it's affecting everybody. Absolutely. You know? And you don't say that <coughs> And now that I'm a peer support and I help people that are going through an addiction, I actually help take those blinders off yeah. and show them. Like, this is what you're doing Absolutely. to your mom. Absolutely. You because nobody showed that to me. Well, it's the accountability thing. Nobody wants to be held accountable for the actions of the, or the, uh, the feelings that other people are having to deal with whenever uh, they're having to deal with you in that. You know, my main thing was I used to throw the biggest tantrums, hissy fits, because I was full rotten, you know, like you said. I was one of those people with silver spoon, couldn't tell me anything, you know? If I could manipulate the situation and throw a tantrum to get my way, but I didn't realize the the costly effect it was having mentally on, you know, my family, yeah. my parents, and everybody else. But until I actually had that talk with my dad, and you could see the tears in his eyes about me apologizing, mm -hmm. that was, that was heartbreaking. Absolutely. You know, so that's why I say your mom is definitely kudos. a hero in that. Yeah, Absolutely. kudos to her. Because for her to still come get you, knowing you're dealing with uh, the imposter crazy. <laughs> still had some time. Right. So yeah, well, she picked me up from the hospital, took me home. As we drive in the driveway, she goes, there's the bottom of that glider, Haley. <laughs> that's beside the road? <laughs> no, in my driveway. <laughs> As well as the entire house. You know, have you ever seen the show, Border and Gone Wild? Yep, yeah. You know, we were, like, in our addiction, we were dumpster divers. Oh. And, like, one, yeah, let me get one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hoarding, Gone Wild. Like, we had probably an outside uh, patio area and then an outside living room area. I remember one time um, we were doing shake and bake um, and we were in the middle of a burn band. This is a hilarious story now. Um, we were in the middle of a burn band and I did not realize how bad shake and bake smelled. And my next door neighbor that was using with us, she was like, oh my God, do you smell that? And so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna start a bonfire because that stinks. So I'm like starting a bonfire. We're talking about the shake and bake. The smell, the like lithium batteries. Okay, so yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I know what shake and bake, do you know what shake and bake is? No, I do not. Okay, so. Um, shake and bake is basically where you take. I thought we were talking about food. No, no, no. absolutely, no. complete opposite. opposite. This is this I'm, is gonna keep you from I'm, eating. Food. I'm fat, so yeah, I, I serve with food. No, so um, there yeah, is a shake and bake food, but yeah. well, we're not we're not talking about you know shake and bake fried chicken. You know, you shake it's it. It's kind of like um, you know, meth is everything you can find underneath your Greek kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, so it's I call um, it bathtub crack. Yes. It's like the Drano and the lithium batteries and the, um, 
I'm not going to say all the ingredients on here, you know, to keep people from doing it. But it's everything you can find and you make it yourself. And, gotcha. But that's what we were doing and it stinks really bad. And like all your neighbors can find it or smell it. So that's what we were doing. Gotcha. And um, it can blow up your house. That's exactly what I was about to say. That's probably, when you hear about meth labs and all that stuff blowing yeah. up, it's probably somebody doing a shake and bake process. Absolutely. You know, so, so I made him go outside in case it blew up the house. You know, I don't want to leave the house. You know, we got kids, two kids inside and one in my belly. You know, so safety first. Safety first, absolutely. So um, burn van, remember burn van. Nothing's supposed to be burning. So the bonfire's going, and I throw on this plastic um, swimming pool. I didn't know plastic makes black smoke. Uh, yeah. I know that. Trust me, I'm like. So I throw this plastic swimming pool on this bonfire, and all this black smoke goes up. Ten minutes later, you hear. And me, me and him both lock eyes on each other. And he goes, oh crap. And I was like, oh, they're, they're coming for us. And he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, we're in the middle of a bird man. <laughs> he was like, why'd you start a fire? And I was like, I don't know. Geek. You know what I mean? And I was like, they're coming for us, but don't worry. I got this. And he's like shaking the bottle and he leaves. <laughs> like leaves. And I've got the neighbor's five kids at my house, my two, and one in my belly. All these cops, all these firemen, everything come to my house while hoarding gone wild is at my house. And he goes, the officer goes, so why do you have all this furniture and stuff outside? <laughs> while my eyes are probably this big. And I was like, um, I don't know. I just, I like furniture, you know? I almost expected you to like, this isn't my furniture. No, it was definitely mine. <laughs> you know, and, and I was so um, oblivious to thinking nobody could notice. Yeah. But, you know, back to um, going there. So I got there and I made it about a week staying sober with my baby, you know, and just watching everybody come in and out my house, you know, the reason I like I wear this shirt, neighborhood hope dealers, because we were dope dealers. You yeah. Know? We were. Everybody was coming in and out, buying stuff, and you know, I was just sitting there watching everybody out, yeah. and I was just like, oh, I want to do it. But I was like, I was nursing, and I really wanted to do right. You know, I, I got a taste of being sober again. You know, and I was like, okay, maybe if I pump enough to where I could have it stored up for her, then I could do it for three days. Or I could do it for a day, it'll save my system for three days, and then I could go back. You know, and I was, that's that addict mentality. Yeah, that's an addict math. Yeah, because, exactly. Oh, dude. Absolutely. You're, 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 you're like, okay, mark it on the calendar. Okay, okay, heart here, because that's the day I'll be clean. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, stupidity. Well, it got to the fact where her left eye was caking up, and she wasn't sleeping, but... 45 minutes at a time, or when she was throwing up, and you know, I was taking her to the doctor, and me and him were fighting where I was having black eyes, and you know, just chaotic, chaotic, chaotic. And I remember taking, taking her to one doctor's appointment, and they're changing this formula yet again, and uh, I my middle daughter looks at the nurse and was like, so how many scoops do I need to put in the bottle? And the doctor looks at me and she goes, why is your daughter going to know that? And I said, well, she just likes to, you know, help me. But in reality, she was the one taking care of her. 
Yeah. You know, I, it wasn't me, you know, because every time that baby would cry, I'd be like, Marley, go get her. You know, I was just so spun out. Like, every time I tried to hold my baby, I dropped her. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I could never, like, I, I know I dropped her like 15, 20 times. Like, and again, God's fingerprints all on this, you know, because I, I couldn't take care of her. I couldn't even remember a lullaby. Like, when I held her, all I could remember was two hymns, and that was I Love You, Lord, and Big Daddy's Redeem song. You know, and I just hummed it to her. That's the only two songs I could ever remember. And I couldn't remember the lyrics, just just how to hum it. And, you know, it was just so crazy. And the doctor looked at me, and she goes, where's the black eye coming from? Are you okay? So I'm fine, you know, I opened up the cabinet. You know, you always blame it on the cabinet or the stairs or you know, right. something. And I was like, I'm fine. So I go back home and, you know, I tell him, I said, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired of this life. He's like, oh, it'll be all right. So the next week, you know, um, Marley's missing the bus left and right. And if I tried to drive her one day and... When, you, when you're doing it for so long, you've been up, you kind of nod out. And I nodded out one day, and I was going towards, when I woke up, because she touched me, she's like, Mama. And I woke up, and I was going towards a tree. Mm. And I started praying. I was like, God, please let me get her to school. I promise I'll go home, and I'll go to sleep, and I'll never drive her again if I'm high. It's not, it's not I'm going to stop. Yeah. It's I'll never drive her high again, you know. Yeah. Stupidity. And you know, I just kind of like those those last minute or those uh, those hail prayers. Yes. Yeah, the hail mary prayers. Where you're like, God, if I just if I can just live through this high right now, I swear I, tomorrow I won't get as high. Absolutely. It's like we're negotiating with God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know um, that happens, and um, DHS comes knocking at the door. And I'm hiding from truancy. You know, she, if she misses the bus, I just don't take her. Yeah. You're staying at home. So truancy's coming. Finally, one day they get me and they, they're like, you, you, you can pass a drug test? I'm like, yeah, I can pass a drug test. Okay. And my mom's a hairdresser, and all of a sudden, you know, I bleach my own hair, trying to pass a hair follicle test, like crazy stuff. And um, I wound up telling Paul, I was like, I'm tired. I, I can't do this no more. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he said, Haley, it's going to take something drastic happening or us getting arrested before we get the help. I was like, Psh, I didn't want to get arrested. I've been arrested. Prescription fraud. Don't want to go back there. Yeah. I'm not going material. So, um, so it was, there's the fear that's been installed. Absolutely. Subconsciously. It, yeah, yeah. Going, even going back to JDC. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want that. So um, we get back to um, Marley gets the flu, and she's out of school for a week. I was like, okay, this time I got a doctor's note. Ain't truancy ain't gonna get me this time. <laughs> so I go to Walmart at the end of um, the week, and I'm gonna go get her doctor's note and a hair mask because this whole week I had not even brushed her hair, and she's got a huge mat in the back of her neck. And I was going to get it. Well, being high, I stay in that hair aisle like an hour and a half. Like looking just stuck. You know, so by the time I get outside, I was. Were you doing the uh, the dance moves along with it? Probably. Yeah. Just. Ooh. 
So <laughs> I call it Panem by so, the Methamom. Yeah. Going, going way back into season one, I think it had been like episode eight, and we were talking with Summer. In Summer's story, she wound up going to Walmart and stayed in Walmart for like over 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and did not even know it. Well, yes, it's because, you you're, because to you, you've been there five minutes. Yeah. yeah. You know, because your mind is moving at such a rate of speed that everything feels like it's been just, oh, it's just been a couple of seconds. I can remember there was one time I went to, it had, it had to be probably Walmart, I'm in the flashlight section. <laughs> Gotta love the flashlights. Flashlights, markers, and, yes. and, and the, the pins. For some odd reason, those things just attract people who are in a meth addiction. Yep. So I went and got this big spotlight. Didn't know I'd been there half the day. Then I went to the pen section and I was like, that would be pretty cool to draw with. <laughs> what if I could? Didn't know I'd been over there 45 minutes and they had, you know, one of those walk around shoppers sitting there just watching me, you know, making sure I wasn't going to stay. I was just like, Stuck. I was like, dude, it's just a pen. You know, yeah. it's just a pen. It's all I want. It's just a pen. <laughs> it's like, this pen is amazing. I remember having that conversation with him. <laughs> the best pen ever. My eyes had to be probably that yes. big, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I had, um, I got mad at him because he wound up coming, um, the imposter wound up coming in. <laughs> and he was like, are you done yet? I said, don't come in here. <laughs> Do not come in here. Because, see, his thing was born. And he was outside at Walmart to get free Wi Fi. Oh, no. Oh, yes. No. Yes. I was like, hey, you didn't even come in here because you're on that free Wi Fi. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Play me for a fool. I don't know what you're doing. You out there watching that. That's what you do. Because you delete your history. I'm going to tell him. I said, you just go back out there. You didn't have me look for it. You didn't have me pay for it. You didn't have me bag it. Don't worry about it. So we wound up getting in a fight outside of Walmart, you know, because then he was like, oh, I'll help you load the, or, you know, put the groceries in. I said, don't worry about it. You know, we're arguing. By this time, again, I'd already had the baby, and it was just, he got in the driver's seat, and I was so livid that he didn't, every time I went to Walmart, he, would, if he went in with me, we went separate ways. Yeah. It was never a stand by me thing. You know, that, that always irritated me with him. It was never a, you know, he put on a show that he was for me and with me, but it was never that way. Absolutely. He's the imposter. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it, from what I hear from him, it's just it's a ton of gaslighting, more manipulation. But I mean, inevitably, that had to do something to your state of mind as well. You know, that probably caused a lot of revenge use. You know, there was a lot of usage just due to the fact that he was probably causing pain as well. Yeah. You know, just detrimental. Yeah. There was all, you know, he did tattoos, so there was always a girl about a tattoo. It was never, you know, it, he, he always made, wanted to make me feel like, I, I love you, Haley, I love this, that. But it was, he cheated on me more times than I could count. You know, he lied to me more times than I could count. You know, you've got locks on your phone. It was just always yeah. something. You know, and if you go this way, just so you can get on your phone and get on free Wi-Fi, and if it's about the corn, it was about the, you know, it was never consistency. Around people, it was, let me hold your hand. But yeah. when we got behind doors, it was, you're such a this, and you're hitting on me, and, you know, and then it was always covering up my bruises. You know, and it was like a triangle. It was like, 
you would hit on me, and then when you'd see the bruises, you'd feel bad, and you'd honeymoon phase me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll never yeah. do that again. And then the tension would build up, and then you'd explode again. And then I'd feel bad again. Yeah. I'm done, you know, like, I, I'm just done. So Something had to break the cycle. It did, yeah. you know, and here's where the cycle got broke. So he, he's in the driver's seat. He puts the car in drive. I go, where, where are you going? You ain't gonna leave me. Cause I'm outside loading the car. It's like he, he would not leave me in a Walmart parking lot. He's like, one bit, and he drives off and leaves me. And by this time, I have a bowl in my in my boot. I have a bag in my bra. And I was like, that's fine. He can leave me. Always get to the emergency boot pile. Absolutely, always. And he didn't know. Everybody, everybody that I've talked to, got that. And he did not know about my emergency sash. That was the thing. And I always had every night. I had a different hiding spot for it. When you have to have an emergency stash from your husband, yeah. And you have to hide your like keys or something in your sock while you're sleeping. That's not a good relationship. No. You know what I mean? But anyway, so he leaves me. He goes home with the kids. Supposedly he came back and couldn't find me. Well, hell, I'm trying to find a ride home. You know? I mean, you don't let me. I thought I was, I mean, I'm high. So um, I try to find a ride home, and they wound up taking me to a trap house to wake up some girl to take her home to. Because they went this way. I said, no, you're supposed to go this way. So when I get there, there this girl Dave's like, well, this girl, she won't wake up. And I said, okay, let me go in and try to wake her up. So I go in and try to wake her up. And as soon as I get the girl up, and I'm like, come on, we gotta go so we can leave. All I hear is, everybody freeze. This is your raid. And I'm like, oh. so I take my emergency stash up, and I'm like, hiding it. I'm like, oh, it's not gonna be my stash. Right. And I walk out, and her face, what's going on? <laughs> So wake somebody up. And you know, again, this little. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Now, we think we're doing all the right things, but we don't know how we cosmetically Oh, look I looked horrible. <laughs> you saw my mugshot. I did see it. Oh, that looked horrible. And I thought I had it going on. We'll, we'll put that up too. Oh, yeah. So, um, the officers actually rewind just a hair at Walmart. I had asked two officers to take, give me a ride home. And they was like, uh, we can't give your type a ride home. My type? type yeah. What you talking about, my type? <laughs> you mean you people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. So when the raid happened, I went out there, and it was the same two officers. And I said, hey, y'all remember me? Can I get a ride home now? Yeah, you know, they're like, well, I told you you was a, that type. I thought, what do you mean? They were like, you're in a trap house. I was in there rescuing a lady. Yeah, that's what I tried to say. They didn't believe that. So they raided the house. And just so happened, my weed and my pipe happened to be in a, um, my newborn babies. You know those hand mittens to keep them from yeah, scratching? Yeah. Yeah, it happened to be in that. And one of the other girls that was there just so happened to have a newborn too. And they came flying out, like in that girl's face. How dare you have your stuff? And this newborn baby's thing, and don't you think about your baby? And da -da -da. And I was like, you know, because I'm ashamed to go to the And I was like, oh my gosh, she's getting in trouble for my stuff. Shut up, Ellie. Shut up, Ellie. Yeah. You know, like, don't take the ball for her. So, and I was like, looking over at this guy, and I was like, please, 
gotta go home to my babies. And the guy was like, okay, I'll take, cause he was already going down. Like he, he had a warrant for himself anyway. He's like, look, I'll take the rap for it. You know, just let the girls go home. They were like, not happening. They took all nine of us in. Jim's dying over there. But that was the best thing that could happen to me. Yeah. It really was. That night, I was pretty PO'd about it. Pretty PO'd. But hindsight's 2020. But hindsight's 2020 was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I got arrested um, February 7th, 2017. Um, I had a a hold on me for a long time. (laughs) I was in the county jail for four months. Um, One more time. God's fingerprints. Yes, God's fingerprints. my, like, let's see how this happened. The DHS, that was, you know, truancy knocking at my door, they came and saw me the next day, and they said, Haley, where are your kids? We need to see where your kids are. And I said, well, they're at home with their dad. Um, and they're good, because, you know, here I am still blindsided, and thinking that, okay, if I'm up there, he's not going to do that without me. Mm-hmm. It's going to get worse. Okay. Yeah. So um, since all this has happened, I'll fast forward just a little bit to go back. Um, I've gotten police reports. And the police report from that night, not only was there tons of meth found, there was syringes found. And I was never a shooter. Mm. So, yes, my kids were rescued. Yeah. Um, I, he still has not known that I've got the police report. So, um that, that was news to me that there was even syringes in my house. Because I was finding needle, um, the caps. Yeah. And I was asking him about it. Because he's covered in tattoos, so I never even saw track marks. But I was always asking him, like, where are these caps coming from? Oh, you're just trying to blame this on me. Da, 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 da. Yeah, know? talk shit once again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just on that. Oh, we're just going to go ahead and call this episode The Imposter. We might as well. That or God's fingerprints. Ooh. God's fingerprints. Ooh. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Let's not give him no glory. That's yeah. right. That's right. So um, I got arrested. DHS went and they um, rescued my kids. Um, they called my mom. My mom came and got them. Um, back to when I said my child was only sleeping for 45 minutes at a time, little did I know she was going through withdrawals. Oh, man. Because when I took her back in the home, remember, she had no meth in her system when she was born. But going back into the home with me, I never knew, because remember, I was a weed smoker. Right. I never knew secondhand smoke was a real thing. But weed smoke and dope smoke, two totally different things. Yeah. The secondhand smoke that, you know, at this time, my oldest daughter, she didn't want to live with me because I had already been arrested for prescription fraud. And there was just so much going down. I had been to my first rehab, which was a um, NACA 12-step program, and it just didn't work for me. Um, <clears throat> she didn't want to come home and live with me. So I had my middle daughter and my, my youngest daughter living with me, and they were both affected by the, the, the dope smoke. And they had so much dope in their system that she was not sleeping. I knew my middle daughter seemed high strong, but I just thought it was her age. But my baby, you know, a newborn, I was like, why is she not sleeping? You know, um, but that was why. So they took her and I, you know, to this day, I'm so thankful for my mom and my dad for 
really putting their life on hold, you know, to take care of my babies. You know, they stopped everything. They were like, the state is not taking the babies. You know, we will do whatever we can to take care of these babies. Um, After I got out four months, um, I went into the Doors of Teen Challenge. Um, And that's what really worked for me. You know, it was that faith-based, 12-step program. Well, really, a Teen Challenge is not a 12-step. You know, I got got a lot of life recovery bottle, so I did the 12-steps. You know, without them knowing about it. But Teen Challenge is a one step, it's Jesus. But I would say Teen Teen Challenge is a little bit more kind of an in house rehab more so than 12 step program. Absolutely. And it's supposed to be 13 months, you know, but my wayward self and stubbornness, I turned it into a 15 month program. But, I mean, again, God's fingerprints because He made it all work out exactly how He wanted it to. but that's where my chains broke. Um, I went in there and I was so broken. Yeah. You know, like every time I tried to laugh, every time I tried to have a good time, I kept, you know, sitting back. And I was like, I cannot have a good time. You know, my babies are at home. My mom is struggling. To You're looking with guilt at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I told Miss Kelly, I was like, how can I do this? You know, my babies are at home. They even told me my nine-month-old, or my baby, might not live to, you know, make it past nine months with how much dope she had in her system. Right. You know, and that really struck me hard because I was yeah. like, how can I? You know, I'm not there. You know, but, you know, it was hard. And Miss Kelly was like, Haley, you got to give it to God. You got to, they're not your kids. You know, you have got to surrender them to the Lord and let him do what he's going to do with them. You know, and you got to be okay with it. And that was a tough pill to swallow. You know, and I, so I, I was praying about it. And I was like, okay, Lord. We were on the way to a choir practice one day, and I was not driving, which I always drive at Teen Challenge. But this day I was not driving. And I was sitting back, and I was like praying. And I was like, all right, Lord. I'm doing a lot of soul searching, and I'm ready to surrender. You're going to have to give me a sign. Because I know you're real, but I don't have a lot of faith. You know, you tell me a mustard seed of faith, and that's just about how much I have. So if you're real, give me a sign. I don't know when you're going to do it, but open my eyes and give me a sign. And I did not expect him to show up so darn quick. <laughs> and so I'm like, I open my eyes and I lean back, and just so happened I was on this side of the van, and I'm like looking out. And I, I was looking at the clouds, and y'all, I was definitely not hot. I've been sober for so many months. And in the clouds was the letters H and I. The word hot. <laughs> and I was like, I turned around to the girl behind me, her name was Madison. I was like, do you see that? <laughs> Wait, I didn't even say, do you see that? I said, girl, what, you, what do you see up there? And she was like, I see the word hot. I said, that's what I said too. And so I told her what I had just prayed. And I said, there ain't no way. And so I tapped the girl in front of me. I said, what do you see up there? Just making sure she didn't see something that was. Make sure she went high. Right. And so she saw it too. And I said, I went back to praying. I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to surrender these girls today. And you don't have to help me. Because every time I surrender at that at that altar, I pick it up. And I don't know, 
these are my babies. And they're supposed to be yours, but these are my babies. You know, help me leave them at the cross. And so I went up there and I prayed and I was like, Lord, do, do what you have to do. I surrender my kids to you. I surrender my marriage to you. Have your way. You know, whatever it is that you're going to do, do it. And I left and I felt a peace come over me. Yeah. You know, and I made it through Teen Challenge. I survived and I graduated and I came home and, you know, Paul, he was in prison. He got out. And um, we wound up getting a place of our own, and um, which was at my late grandmother's house. Um, my oldest daughter came to live with us, and it was like restoration. I had all my babies under one roof. Fascinating. You know, I had my whole family back. And then Corona happened. Mm. And, you know, um, he started working third shift, and I just started noticing a difference. And I started noticing something was different. And, you know, I cleaned out his car one day and I found a meth pipe. And I was like, No more. Yeah. This can't be. And, you know, I struggled with that. And so I asked him, I said, This can't, this can't happen. And um, Maya wound up leaving to go with her dad. There was a lot of tension in the air. You know, when Corona happened, it was. A lot of bickering, you know, when he started back using, it was a lot of um, illness, you know, just the short temper, the short fuse. Him, just, he had a lot of resentment towards Maria, and it was like that. And so she left, she was like, I'm just going for the summer, but she didn't, you know, she packed her whole room up, and she left, and that really hit me hard. Yeah. And so I asked my mom to watch the other two girls. And at this time, I'm on drug court. I've passed every drug test, you know, doing the thing, working with bodybuilders, starting to open a ministry, you know, this ministry, and, you know, just doing the dang thing, you know, living strong, but this corona closing down churches, not being held accountable not being able to go around like-minded people, not having meetings, you know, trying to stay in the word, but you know, it's hard. Yeah. You know, when you're used to getting around people and having those the encouragement and everything else, yeah. And then it all goes away and then you have drugs starting to come back around. It's what you're comfortable with and knowing. So mama takes the girls and we are supposed to shampoo the carpets. And he asked, you want a drink? And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll be fine. And then he brings a bowl in. And I was like, okay, just this once. Just this once. So I hit the pipe. And y'all, this is like God's fingerprints. <laughs> I'm telling you, my phone rings, text message goes off. 9.45 at night. My PO has never texted me in Atlanta. Like, and she's like, Haley, you have been chosen as one of the 10 to show up at court tomorrow for court. Oh, after I just hit the ball. Not me, no. I was like, He's <laughs> like, it's all right. We can still have a good night. <laughs> 
Are you kidding? Not at this point. I'm right. freaking out. So, you know, I make up this bogus excuse on why I can't get to court, like my tires flat, this, you know, all this and whatever. So I don't go to court. And um, I wound up taking the garbage out and I didn't shut the door. And I'm right here at the door and I hear boom, 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 boom. Agent Grammer, PO. And I'm thinking, okay, cops can't come in your house, right, without you opening the door. That's true. But drug court POs, like when you sign that thing, you sign your life away. Yeah. Yeah, well, he entered the door. So I go and hide. And what do a twicker do? You hide under a bed. So I hide under a bed. Freaking out. They'll never look here. They'll never look under the bed. Never. So, um, you know, a couple hours later, they're still looking through the house. Still haven't looked under the bed, but finally they find me, and I'm just, I mean, y'all, I'm so ashamed. I can't even lift my head because I have made it so long yeah, yeah. in my recovery, and I'm such an inspiration to so many people, but more so to myself because I have been an addict for 24 years, and I have been going strong for so long, and why I let this one lapse in judgment come, for what? Because really, when, even when I did hit the pipe or, you know, you know it, didn't, it wasn't the same. You know, I didn't get that same euphoric feeling. So I held my head in shame and I was like, this is not what I want. You know, and I, I failed the drug test, of course, and, you know, everything had to come to a head. And, you know, I just told Paul, I said, this isn't what I want. So I said that the drugs are us. And he had been so wrapped up in it that he just couldn't stop. And it came to a point of, you know, we just fought so much and I went to go pack my bags and it, I had to call 911, you know, and I wound up leaving and I never looked back. And I've been at my mom's house and I've been passing every drug test and, you know, doing bodybuilder, staying at Celebrate Recovery. We call it Recovery Room now where we're at. Um, Let's see, we've got recovery rooms. So those are the stuff that you're doing now Absolutely. to maintain your sobriety. Absolutely, recovery room, um, bodybuilders. There's one more I go to. Uh, it's just Zion Church. I just stay at church anymore. Anytime the doors are open, I'm at a meeting or at church. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's changing. You know, I, I filed for the divorce. When I had to leave, I said, you know, I, if, if I don't leave, and I stay in this cycle, you know, it's, it's not going to change. Yeah. And I'm grateful for, you know, the imposter because we have two beautiful children together. Yeah. But there's just so much water under the bridge that I don't think that we could ever move past the past. Yeah. You know, and people do change and there is forgiveness, you know, and I'm not saying that there can't ever be forgiveness and he can't change because I have. You know, but I just want to move forward. I want yeah. to be able to turn this next chapter and just move forward and just. And he's got to go with you, though. Right. He's got to make the, the same effort by himself. Yes. You and know, if he's not, then I mean, right. And that's a little bit with my story. Is you know, my wife was going to leave, and by all rights, we should be divorced. But I made that effort to change. Right. And so I, I, I ended that last episode telling people, hey, if your husband is doing the same things I was doing, 
Give him another chance. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't change, you're going to be in the same position. Right. So it's, it's all about the change. Right. And Haley, just listening to your story, man, like that is where the hope is. Mm -hmm. To from the beginning of your story, from just start out with the weed and the liquor, and to end it up with staying at Walmart for four <laughs> hours and and hitting your relapse. I mean, it's just a miracle, and it's it's the biggest ray of hope that I can personally think of. You are a lighthouse to people that are listening that are still in the dark of addiction, and. Man, if, you're, if your story isn't a fiery example of hope, I don't know what is. And so I, I really appreciate you coming on today and to dive into such... Ooh, man, I got a whistle on that one. I don't know. But to, to, dive, to dive so far into your story, to share with strangers listening on the podcast, to give that hope. And... Like we end every episode, we're going to ask you a couple questions. Okay. And they're not going to be nothing too bad. Uh, what is the biggest thing that you personally took from your story? What are some lessons learned? That you can't go back to your vomit. You know? Hmm. Yeah. You, you can't, I mean, going back to toxicity it's just going to repeat the same cycle. Most definitely. You know, uh, what's the word? Uh, Insanity? That one. That one. <laughs> you know, expecting a different result. I mean, <clears throat> sometimes it changes hard. And it was hard for me to finally come to the end and say, I have to go through with this divorce. Because I always, I was that person that said, maybe it can change. Yeah. You know, maybe today can be different, but, you know, it took me seeing my kids starting to flinch, yeah. you know, and I, I didn't want that. Yeah. I didn't want my kids to be a walk on eggshells like I walked on eggshells, yeah. you know, and I, and I didn't want that, you know, because I know my kids are going to look for the man that I accept. And I don't want that. You know, I want better for them. And if I have to break that generational curse, I would rather be single and happy than with someone and miserable. That's right. You know, but returning to vomit never works. Man, that's, that's really good. I like that. The thing about change, though, especially in addiction, uh, sorry, I you know, interjecting, uh, is often people, you, you get the question of, well, how do I make that change like that, that big, you know? It's not about that one big change. It gradually happens, just like you gradually started using, just like in the beginning of your story, you know, it starts to snowball into that big change. It's a lot you of know, little bitty steps. Yeah, it's one it's big the first step. choice to admit, you know, and then it starts from there. And then there, there'll be more choices to, you know, but as long as it's the right choice made, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like I tell people, you know, change doesn't happen overnight. Never started and, learning to use overnight. So. Exactly. You know, and it doesn't, and it's not going to be instant. You yeah. know, you have to be willing to go through the rain in order to get the rainbow. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go through this process. And, I'm, you know, I heard this the other day. Sometimes you got to let the hurt happen to be able to be shaped where you're supposed to be. 
You know, you got to allow God to put you through the fire to sharpen you or shape you where he's got to have you. Yep. Man, and hey, y'all just got all that for free. Imagine, I mean, that's, that's some great stuff right there, man. Ooh, man. So number two, what would you tell somebody that's going through the same thing that you came out of? I would tell them to not lose hope, to keep pressing in, you know, to surrender, you know, Find out what your biggest setback is to see where, what is bringing you down. When you rise up, what brings you down? And it doesn't matter how many times you fall. Every time you fall, get back up. Because the fall doesn't define you. The rise up does. Yeah. So even if you fall seven times, that eight um, that you rise up, that's what's going to define you. That's right. Drew, you want to take the last two? Um, yeah, sure. So, what impact do you think um, the old you has on the current you? Hmm. My old pictures. <clears throat> My old pictures. <laughs> um, we're going to need some of those. By yeah. The, so we can... um, the old me, just the old mask that I used to wear. Right. You know, I see it in so many people. You know, the people I work with, the people that come through the doors of the ministries that I work with. I, I asked the Lord when I was at Teen Challenge to give me a spirit of discernment. Yeah. And so many people come up to me and, you know, they like give me hugs and immediately I can say, hey, what's going on? And they can say nothing. You know, but I can feel it. Yeah. You know, and I can talk to them and I can say something's going on or I can pray with them or something. And. I can say, look, this is what I went through, and this is how I, you know, work through it. And everybody's different, yeah. But I use what I've gone through to help other people. Now, whether they take that advice or they don't, you know. But I, I look back at a lot of my old pictures to remind myself where I've come from, because I never want to be one of those people who forget where I come from. Yeah. You know, I always want to stay humble, and you know, stay in thankfulness. Of God, of where He brought me from. God rescue you from the pit, so you Ooh. go back and get more out of the pit. Let me tell you, and when I'm at church, I am the loudest one. <laughs> when people sit beside me, I tell them, "Look, I'm just letting y'all know, I'm a very loud praiser." But it's because I remember. Yeah. I remember in that county jail cell, and I remember going back in there. Because I'm gonna tell y'all, this is one part I left out, and it's good. When I went into, you know, they, how they have them people that come in and do jail ministries. Yeah. I went in and I was like, I think I might go to this one. And I went in and they brought this little boom box in. And they said, we just so happened to let them approve us bringing in this boom box. And we want to play a song for y'all. Guess what song it was? What was that? I Love You, Lord. The same when you were humming. Same when I was humming. <laughs> and I was like, because I've been. Oh, like, right. I was like, they played that song and I was like. I got out of my seat. Now I'm in all yellow. I look like Big Bird up in there. I got in all yellow. And I was in, around all these other prisoners. Right. I got out and I sat on the ground. I knelt on the ground and I just cried. Cried. And I mean, I didn't care who was watching me or nothing. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, because I always knew who God was. And I always had 
But that was that moment of encounter. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and people I, pray for that on a continuous basis, but to actually feel absolutely. That. And I yeah. knew, and I knew at that moment, like I didn't care who was around me. And I went back in that cell and I said, "All right, God, if you say this is how I try to, you know, talk to God. If you save me and my girls, I said, no, don't don't worry about me. You can leave me in here. You can throw me under the cell if you want to, because I absolutely deserve it." Or what I put my kids through. Save my kids. You save my girls. And I promise if you ever see fit to let me out of here, I will be your hands and feet. I will walk these streets and I will continue to bring people out of the dungeons. I will continue to be fire for you. And I am. Like, if I get in that, yeah, it don't matter if I'm in the church or outside the church, I'm on fire for you. All right, so thank you for coming by. Absolutely. Your story has been absolutely amazing. I've enjoyed every bit of it. Um, it's just it's just some of those things, man. You know, they touch the heart. Uh, they give insight. You know, it's just it's it's phenomenal the way <clears throat> that you've gone from this to now. You're the hope dealer, not the dope dealer. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, so I'll give you a few minutes, you know, open mic, you know, to reach that one person. Uh, you know, that's what this show's about. It's not about reaching everybody, you know, uh, as long as we can reach one. You know, what would, what would you say to that one person if you could reach them? Um, what I would say to that one person is it doesn't matter um, what you've gone through. It doesn't matter if you feel like you have just been hurt so many times or you have just shamed God. You, there's nothing that you have done that is unworthy. If you ask God for forgiveness, like he has spiritual amnesia and like he forgives you and he doesn't remember it. It's ourselves that keeps remembering every single sin that we've done. Forgive yourself. Look in the mirror and learn to forgive yourself. That's who we battle with the most. The things between our ears, that's Satan's battleground. Learn to um, let go and let God and just allow him to take over, fully surrender every single bit of your life. Quit playing on the fence, quit teeter-tottering, quit playing church, quit allowing the enemy to slip through the cracks and just trick your mind and toy with the what ifs. What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? Quit going back to Facebook and stalking the eggs and looking back and saying, well, what if I would have done this? Or what if I would have done this? Or blocking him and unblocking him. And well, maybe I'll give him another chance. Like move on, let go and just learn from your mistakes. Um, mistakes are a part of life, you know, if they're supposed to happen, but we're supposed to learn from them. If we don't learn from them, they become habits. Yeah, that's right. Well, Recovery Fam, that winds up another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And what a episode that it has been. And I hope today's episode has been a blessing to you and an encouragement for you. Uh, don't forget that you can always join the recovery community online at Twitter for more recovery conversations. Uh, you can find us at Unashamed Recovery, Unashamed Recovery. And you can also use the hashtag Recovery Posse to find thousands of others. Uh, do you want to be a guest on the show like Haley was today? 
you know, we're always taking people, you know, to share their story with us. Email us at unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com to send us and get, get scheduled to share your amazing story. And Haley, if somebody wants to contact you about, you know, coming and speaking at a recovery group or maybe to share on another recovery podcast, what's the best way that somebody can contact you? Well, my email is HaleyP, H-A-L-E-Y-P-2524 at gmail.com. That sounds good. And guys, with that, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Thank you for your continued support of this podcast. And I hope that you will all continue to stay sober. And until next time, we love y'all. And remember to be unashamed. See you guys. Hey, Recovery Fam. Thanks for watching another episode of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast. And if today's episode has somehow helped you out, or maybe it's encouraged you to get into recovery, consider subscribing to our channel, like this video. You can even give us a comment. Yeah. Oh, I was getting on there and liking it. See? Guys, you can find us on all social media at Unashamed Recovery. 